Hello, lovely. It's Shauna Lee, and welcome back to the Soul Frequency Show podcast, where we're stepping into the light and raising our frequency together. Each week, we get to return to this sacred space to have conversations about the things we all experience in life, love, health, and career. A space where we, as spiritual beings, having this human experience, can amplify our gifts and remember our truth. The title of this episode is Anxious Attachment. I guess we're focusing a little bit this month on relationships and the importance of relationships in our life. Truly, we can't raise our frequency or step into our purpose or change our lives without taking a look at the relationships. Those are the glue that bind us to a certain frequency. And it's really important, you know, that old saying, what you put yourself around, you become. Um, There are definitely elements of truth to that. And today we're going to be talking about anxious attachment. And I really felt called to talk about this. I think it's really important to to approach this uh, topic with compassion, whether it's for ourselves or for people we know, and to really dive into the details on what anxious attachment is in relationships, particularly love relationships as well. So on the show today is Jessica Baum. She's the founder of the Relationship Institute of Palm Beach, a group practice providing couples therapy, family counseling, and addiction therapy in South Florida since 2016. As a therapist for over 10 years, Jessica has helped thousands of clients with her unique approach to healing. The self-full method, Jessica's work is focused on developing a meaningful connection with oneself and in understanding our own core patterns so that we can better understand how to relate in our relationships. Without this meaningful connection to oneself and others, we find ourselves feeling isolated. Jessica opened a sister company, Be Self Full, that offers online coaching with a team of experts and courses worldwide. She was born and raised in Manhattan, and she now lives in Palm Beach, Florida. So very excited to welcome Jessica to the show. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So the second I saw this come across my email, anxious attachment, I was like, oop, we got to have Jessica on the show because this is an important topic. And so maybe you can take us back to how you became interested in this. I know you've had, you know, years of working with people on anxious attachment and clearly you wrote your book from that experience, but take us back to your interest in the topic, like how you started seeing people and working with people um, and what you discovered a little bit along the path. Yeah, well, this is like kind of twofold. So my own personal journey is around anxious attachment within myself. So I have a personal connection to this population because I have suffered and learned a great deal around my attachment style. But having said that, I um, am a certified Imago therapist. So I work with couples and I became fascinated with seeing couples play out patterns together and watching them get stuck in cycles 
where they keep injuring each other and core wounds keep coming up. And I watched nervous systems get dysregulated. And I just became fascinated with understanding the underpinnings in the dynamics of relationships. So between my own kind of learning how to have a more secure base within and dealing with what comes up inside of me and many years of watching couples do familiar dances in my office, I was like, I need to get more of this information of what I'm seeing and what I see work um, out there. And it definitely, you know, it came from the heart in that it's something that I had to work through myself. And it's something that I see over and over again, show up in my world. So I was just like, I need to give more people access to this information and what healing anxious attachment and, and really working with anxious avoidant dance brings up for you so that you have this opportunity to heal it too and see it differently in a more conscious lens. Yeah, really beautiful. So so where does, you know, obviously people have heard of codependency and like all different types of things that we deal with in relationships. Like where for you does anxious attachment fall into, let's say something like codependency? Like, does that play into the story of anxious attachment? Like if you were going to define what that is, like what's your definition? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I talk about codependency and love addiction in the book because they're both products of attachment and specifically anxious attached, anxiously attached people, ambivalent people tend to have codependent behaviors. The way I phrase that is everyone adapts when they are young and we're doing a lot of adapting in womb and early years in terms of how we're co-regulating and learning how to be with our primary caregiver. But as we grow up, we'll do anything to stay in connection in our family. So what we end up doing is we adapt in a way where we shut down parts of ourselves that aren't received in our family. So we learn all these creative ways um, just to survive. And I think, you know, and the science shows when you reattach in your adult relationships, the same strategies start to happen in your adult relationships. And so people... I think are not so aware that their subconscious and their wounds are really driving a lot of their behaviors. And as a society, we want to focus on the behaviors. You know, we want to focus on how many times do you text that, text that person or you're dating an addict or we can label codependency. But the truth is underneath the behaviors is how we adapt it. And it's our nervous system and really understanding how we try to stay in connection and building a compassion around that. I, I actually don't love the word codependency because we are co-regulators and we really need interdependency. And I think it's driven a lot of people to think that they need to be independent, which is actually not the road to healing. It's about being interdependent. But I do address that all in my book because codependency and love addiction really at the root of it, we're looking at an attachment style adaptation. And, and what is like, is there, um, I know it's not this simple, but is there like a feeling that we have when we know, like we're maybe texting 10 times too many that day? Is there a sensation? Like how would somebody know that this resonates for them, meaning like other than just hearing the words and going, huh, maybe that, you know, maybe that resonates with me. Like, is there a, a definition between like, what is healthy? I think it's sometimes hard to know because like you said, we grow up with caregivers, right? Parents, whomever we grew up around and we contort ourselves into whatever, you know, seems to make them happy. Right. And, and give us feedback that we're, lo that we're loved and we're cared for. And so we did, we many times get 
separated from who we really are, right? And what is really valuable to us. But where does it go from like a healthy relationship or how do we identify like what is healthy, what isn't healthy when maybe what we've come from isn't healthy, meaning like we've never had the experience of what healthy, interdependent, you know, beautiful, I flow you energy, you flow me energy, love. Like how do we define, okay, this is attachment. This doesn't feel good. Is it just simply because it doesn't feel good? No, no. And I think that interdependent love has a ton of ruptures in it. So this conception that you have to be in a healthy relationship and you're not going to have these, what we call rupture and repair, but the ruptures are sensations that happen in your body that bring up what we call implicit memories. So a good indicator that your trauma is coming up and there's no judgment in texting a million times, your system is trying to get back into a sense of safety. And the safety for you in that moment is connection with whomever you're trying to connect with. The problem is it doesn't always work and that other person might feel really overwhelmed and end up pushing you away more, not because they don't care about you, but because they don't know how to deal with that intensity coming at them. But there's no shame at all in that behavior because we're wired to try to get back into connection. And so a couple things. Well, one, if you're try to connect, you try to connect, you try to connect, you try to connect, and you can't, the natural response in a baby is to cry to a sympathetic level and then to reach rage. Like we are designed to try to get back into connection. Well, if you're texting and you're texting and you're texting and you can't get back in touch with the person you're trying to get in touch with, it can be excruciating. And you're not alone in that. That's a very common thing, especially for someone who has more of an anxious base. I think the number one indicator is if the sensations, because the body stores sensations, we store sensations before we actually even store what we would consider normal memories. We store sensations in our body because we don't have a fully developed hippocampus. So if the sensations are really big in your body, you know that it's really old. And so if you're having these really big sensations in your body, have so much compassion for yourself because it's your body is saying, I don't feel safe right now. I don't feel safe right now. And sometimes your partner isn't the one that can hold that space in that moment. You want to get back into connection with that person so that those big sensations go away, but those big sensations live inside of you. And hopefully they can surface with people who can help you be with them. So you don't spend the rest of your life reacting to them or avoiding them. So it's normal. And when it does surface, it's an opportunity to get curious, to build some more compassion, to understand this is your automatic nervous system responding in a way that may not make sense in the here and now, but our body doesn't always live in the here and now. And getting the right support around these sensations is what helps integrate them and heal them. So we have to re-experience them. But I think the shaming comes when we feel them and we don't understand them. Understanding them is the first step. And then we can't re-experience them with someone who can help hold them. We only want to fix them and make them go away because they're unbearable. I mean, who wants to be in those big sensations? But the more you you get courageous and the more you have safe support around you, the more you can experience them in a way in which when the healing happens, your life expands because you're not avoiding them and, and unconsciously or subconsciously avoiding them all the time. Yeah. In your own, because you said you've learned about this personally, like in your own personal journey with this, 
what were like some of the breakthrough kind of points of realization on your own journey that really like helped you understand these big sensations and help you understand, um, is there any like times that you look back on and go, wow, when I learned this about myself or when I went through this experience, like that really helped me heal. You know, it's funny because I'm writing like the beginning of my next book as we speak. And there was this time this winter when I was going through something, um, you know, something came up in the here and now, but the experience in my heart was so incredibly painful that my heart was literally breaking and no one was breaking my heart in reality. And I remember talking to this woman who has been helping me. Um, she's helping me write and she's just like a mentor to me. And she's like, wow, your body is releasing your implicit memory because the sensation is living in your, in your heart and you must feel safe enough that this is surfacing and how wonderful this is that you can bring this to your therapist. And I looked at her and I was like, wonderful. This was <laughs> like so hard. I was like bleeding out of my heart and crying. And then I think She's like, yeah, it's awakening something deeper in you. And this is what we're all avoiding and for good reason. And I think, you know, when we have the right support, the sensations and the memories get touched and then we can be with them differently. And then we deepen. We can't speed that process up. Believe me, as a psychotherapist, I thought for many years, I've been doing my own work. Are you kidding me? Another layer of healing here. And yes, another layer of healing. I think, you know, having her reframe it that way gave me a shift in perspective instead of like, oh man, more trauma is coming to the surface. Here we go again. This is so embarrassing. My heart hurts so much. It was like, oh my God, a part of my body feels like releasing something so old. This is probably what it felt like when I was so small. And how can I have compassion and be in this experience completely differently? And with people who can help hold it versus like try to fix it, which we live in a, a society where I think a lot of people uncomfortable themselves or never really learned how to heal. They want to fix your uncomfortability rather than just be present and nurturing through the experience. So that was, that was a recent eye opener for me as more and more um, painful sensations were coming to the surface. And, you know, I think humbling as a therapist that we are still doing our own work. We are all, all the time doing our own work. And that's what it means to be more and more aware is to be more and more courageous around when these moments hit and have the support we need to help us move through the harder moments and know that you're not alone in those harder moments. I mean, we wouldn't be good at what we did if we weren't also doing the work along with you. So that was a moment for me that was like, whoa, okay, more layers to heal. And yeah. it's always more layers. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an important point because I, there's so much themes right now, like around safety and like where we derive our sense of safety from. And when we get, it's, it's different than I think what our logical linear mind believes. Cause we believe like when I get into a safe place or I feel safe within myself, like all will be better. Right. Or, or I'll just feel free. Um, but really like when we get into a safe place, whether it's like a safe dynamic where you can really share with somebody or a safe place within ourselves, like it allows the stuff that needs to come up to come up. 
right? It's like, it's like, oh, now we can, so we can have this in our linear mind. We can say, wait a second, I got to a safe place and it feels worse, right? Like, cause in the beginning, it's just like, wait a second. Like, why is all this stuff coming up? I'm in a safe place, but it's like, it's because you're in that safe place that, that you can empty your bucket, right? And let that stuff rise to the surface. Absolutely. I mean, it couldn't have been said better. And I think, you know, there's this term we call neuroception and our body is always scanning our environment for danger or safety. And, you know, safety in our nervous system is something we can't fake. So we can't fake safety. We don't know what is going to be safe for you versus safe for me. But in the presence of somebody who's calm and safe within themselves, and when you experience enough of that, your system starts to drop or should, not should, the result of that experience over and over and over again allows your nervous system to shift into a more out of sympathetic and into a safer mode to release more. So you're absolutely right. It sometimes gets messier and I can see clients sometimes they're in the thick of it. I have one client who's in the thick of it and not quite understanding the old. And then I have other clients that are in the thick of it that even in the thick of it, they're like, and I can feel myself transforming and I have multiple levels of awareness here. So I think, you know, even though it gets hard, if if you have someone that's holding it and you're doing the work, I think even in the hard moments, you're able to access more, you're able to resource more most of the time, and you're able to feel the transformation a little bit, bit by bit as you're going through it. doesn't mean it's easier. It means you're not regressing as much into it. Um, and you really do, if it's primal work or it's really early wounding, you kind of wounding, you really do need the presence of somebody else's nervous system. And, not, and it doesn't have to be a therapist, but it has to be a non-judgmental, warm, consistent, attuned person that helps you hold these experiences so that you can re-experience them and then integrate them and, and kind of allow your body to release what was too painful and has been stored in the body. So, yeah, I mean, it gets sometimes harder before it gets easier, but it becomes worth it when you're in the process and you start to really understand the process while in it. Yeah. And you also learn that like, you're not going to die, right? Like you can feel these things and you're going to be okay. And like, there's a resilience in that, right? Like when you go through something really challenging and let stuff come up and it's like, okay, but even your body at a certain level, cause like, you know, you're not going to die literally, but it, but that sensation feels like, oh, if I let this come up or if I let my, allow myself to feel this, like I will, I'll I'll be stuck in it forever. Right. Or I'll perish or I won't be able to make it through. And so when you make it through that stuff, like you develop this thing where you get relationship to your emotions and to letting stuff come up where you're like, okay, even if it feels hard, even if it feels big, like I know I've been through this before and I can, you know, ride the waves and go through this again. And, you know, that's to me, like a, tool and a skill set for human life on the planet at this time, like that we all need. Absolutely. And I mean, we would refer to that as expanding your window of tolerance. So, you know, it's like not about not going through the experiences, but your ability to be in them expands the more you're in them in a safe way. And sometimes it, it requires somebody else to be in it with you. But the feeling of like literally wanting to die 
that is how you felt as a baby. Like as a baby, if, if, and it can be something as simple as a parent of yours was under so much stress and couldn't attune or became dissociated or wasn't available for a period of time, the baby's nervous system picks up on that. And you, if enough of that happens, you do feel like you might die because you might die if your primary caregiver isn't paying attention to you. So the sensations that are that big are actually your body's survival mechanisms kicking in and your body stored those feelings. And then when something touches that in the here and now, it remembers that. So if someone really shuts down and there's a study about like a blank stare study they did with babies and their moms. And so I forgot the exact minutes, but if a baby was holding the mom, uh, if a mom was holding a baby and the mom then just checked out, right? And after like 30 seconds of checking out, the amount of pain that that baby experienced was excruciating. And so it just shows you how hardwired we are to stay in connection. And when we sense disconnection, depending on our developmental process, it is going to feel like we might want to die. And you're not crazy for feeling that way. And it is really hard and you don't have to do that alone. It's about getting the right tools and support to help you through those harder moments. Because essentially that's your body saying, prepare for death or this disconnection hurts so much. So it's remembering that from a much earlier time. Yeah. Is, is it typical that people, you know, who would say like, yes, I feel like I'm always reaching for connection from my partner. Does the partner play like a different role then? Like does, do two anxiously attached people choose each other or do they choose people that mirror, you know, maybe parental relationships where there wasn't, you know, attachment or love or nurturance, like, did you see that in your practice over and over again? Or do you see like all different kinds of pairings? Yeah, I mean, we have something called the um, unconscious, I call it pact in my in my book where something feels, feels familiar and it it's, um, you know, it's common for an anxious person to be attracted to avoidant person. And we probably could do a whole podcast on that. And we are attracted to sometimes um, the avoidant person can be attracted to what looks like vulnerability and liveliness and a lot of emotion in an anxious person. And the anxious person can be attracted to what looks like stability on the outside and a lot of stoicness, but really there's a lot of anxiety going on in both of the people. And emotional availability is really hard to tell. And I, I think, I think we meet our matches. And what I mean by that is like, even myself included, if I'm ever complaining about my husband, I kind of turn back and I say, okay, what is he bringing up inside of me? We are matched together energetically. He's my spiritual teacher. If he's bringing up something that's hard, is it, is it on me to kind of look within instead of projecting and blaming it all on him? And I think, you know, as human beings, the first level defense is just kind of to point the finger And I think we attract people who are going to step on our wounds, but the wounds exist in us. And some relationships might be more forgiving. Um, Some relationships might be more, have more of a capacity for um, like healing and awareness. And some are more turbulent, but they're all mirrors back into our own wounding. Um, And so I think when you can look at it that way, it's actually pretty empowering 
Because no matter what relationship you're in, you can take what comes up in that relationship and choose to make it a catalyst for your own work. And then as you do your own work, you can choose if you want to stay in that relationship or not. It's the more work you do, the more choices you will have. And so I like to look at it that way because I believe people, you know, show up for a reason. We find our energetic matches. We have to get conscious, which can be really hard on both sides. And sometimes you do your own work and you evolve and you might evolve in a very different direction because the hope is that you guys will do the work together, but that's not always the case. Sometimes you do the work and you evolve and the relation, the system changes and it ends up being okay. And you just can't know. All you can do is continue to do your own work or do couples work if you have a willing partner. That yeah. went really far off your question. Really. No, it's no, it's great. And like I was curious too, like from your own practice of like working with couples, because it really is when you enter into an agreement with a partner to look at yourselves, like you really don't know where that's going to end up, right? I mean, looking at yourself and looking at the relationship can take a lot of different forms. And you can, you know, so you kind of have to courageously be like, all right, we're just jumping into this, knowing that that we're each going to discover about ourselves and we're going to discover about our relationship and whatever is going to be is going to be um, as we, you know, take off the layers and understand ourselves better and look at the, you know, patterns and all of this kind of stuff. Like, do you see that, like you mentioned attachment and avoidant, you know, and those personalities sometimes um, having a connection, like, do you see that there's a balancing, like when people that you've worked with that have, you know, maybe have that type of dynamic going on that in their own inner work, like some of the tendencies of the attachment style and some of the tendencies of the avoidant style that that starts to balance out? Like, do we fundamentally like change to, um, as we heal, like, do we, do we always not recognize like, wow, like I'm feeling differently about this, or I'm feeling less avoidant in this way, or I'm feeling like less desire as I build safety in myself to, you know, to check in or follow up all the time. Like, have you seen these relationships like evolve in ways that are surprising to you? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that when you do some of your own work, like I remember working with a client not that long ago, and there was a lot of projecting into her relationship. And I just kept saying to her, like, he's not causing all this pain. He is bringing all this pain up in you. And I kept that and I kept that. And finally, she was like, he's not causing me all this pain. He is bringing this pain up in me. And I'm like, yeah. And I think it's a realization that is like a light bulb moment, because as soon as you have that light bulb moment, you stop personalizing and blaming, and they're not responsible for all the pain. And they're also not responsible for all the quote unquote fixing. So now this person in your life is, there's more space for you to not making, not blaming them and not reaching to them for both of those, but like being more with what they bring up in different ways, which is a very liberating place. So I think, yeah, I think there's, a, and then that person, the other person, if they are avoidant, starts to feel the relief of you're not making them the problem or the solution anymore. So there's more space for them to feel. And I think it's creating more and more space for each people to kind of be in more less reaction and more in maybe the grief or maybe seeing the other person as a whole person and seeing more of their story or starting to see them in their own wounding and not personalizing all of their behaviors anymore. You know, you start to shift 
you find more compassion for yourself and them. I mean, it just shifts the whole dynamic. And if the wounding's really deep, sometimes the couple doesn't make it. Um, but often if the wounding's deep and there's a willingness on both sides, the couple can work through it. Uh, so it's, it, you know, there's no one formula. I wish there was, because I'm sure there's people that are like, there's anxious people out there that like, if you gave them the book and the formula, they would be, you know, doing every single thing they can to save their relationship. But I think for anxious people, it's about living in the uncertainty of it and allowing each day to bring up a new opportunity to be with themselves and the uncertainty of it and to bring in um, loving kindness for themselves and their partner. Because I just think you just don't know. You can just keep bringing this loving observer as much as you can into your relationship and start looking at your partner through a new lens when you start to look at yourself through this new compassionate lens. Yeah. And I always think like, you know, at the end of the day, like, any introspection or looking at ourselves, like if it meant the end of the relationship, it would be because you arrived at the point that that became clear. You know what I mean? We think like, oh, it's going to be so awful, but like you would have probably arrived at that awareness that like, hey, we are not, you know, these patterns and outside of the pattern, we don't really match, right? Or outside of this dance we've been playing, like maybe this isn't in the highest and best, but like, what a gift that you gave yourself and your partner freedom within themselves. And that, you know, developing that trust that if it's not this, there's going to be, because you've done that work on yourself, something more aligned that's going to come into your life and that you can connect with. And that we have to, you know, I mean, I think the spiritual journey is all about like trust and faith, right? You have to have trust in what you cannot yet see and trust in yourself and faith in the process um, to move through it. So it's, you know, we can get to these points where we're holding on so tight to what is actually, you know, bringing, we're in pain, right? And we're yet, we're holding mm -hmm. on so tight to that. I'm like, oh, if we just let go just a little bit, then there can be some movement, some learning, some growth. Yeah. That is so well said. And I think letting go just a little bit can bring terror yeah. to someone who's anxious because yeah. letting go just a little bit might be a free fall or, you know, but that is exactly, that's the path back to yourself and potentially the path back to the relationship because that's where you're letting go and you're letting what is to surface more and more. And that is exactly the work. And like you said, if you let go and if you're reacting and breaking up with someone out of a reaction, and I'm not here telling people what to do and what not to do, but it is still a reaction from pain. But as you do the work more and more of yourself, like you just said, the what is right for you becomes less about the pain and just more clear for you. And so making a decision when and if you reach that point is a very different decision than, oh my God, this person hurt me so much. I'm packing my bags and leaving because Sometimes that's just a reaction to your own pain, which you might regret later, or you haven't reached the point of this like aha understanding yet that this is just not energetically the best match, or you haven't worked through your stuff enough and maybe it is a good match. You're just reacting, right? So yeah. you don't know which one of these outcomes will be. All you know is that your work is to become more and more compassionate and more and more aware of your own system and your own wounds and how they're playing out in the here and now. And the outcome isn't really always something that we can predict. 
And now we'd like to predict it all, wouldn't we? I mean, we all go to psychics and we all want certainty. And and the truth is, I think our capacity to live in the uncertainty of it is what makes us see our partner through new eyes every day. Yeah, it's so true. It's like, I'm not going to pick any door until I know exactly what's behind that door. (laughs) And I'm sure that I'm going to love it, right? (laughs) I want to know everything. Um, So I'm wondering too, with anxious attachment, like, does it, for some people, does it manifest as like, like, I'm not even going to get in a relationship or be in relation, like, the, like, it's so triggering to even think about like wanting to connect with somebody and having them not connect that like you would choose basically to stay disconnected. Does it ever show up like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that listen, we're, we're biologically wired to be in connection. And so what happens is the pain of trying and then quote unquote failing or feeling to disconnect makes us withdraw more. And what you attach to that withdrawal, I'm not dating now, or I'm not trying again, or it's really your system saying that was too much for me. So I'm going to close the door. But I think someone who's anxiously attached does better in the right relationships and inherently wants to be in a, a relationship. So if they're swinging the pendulum and they're like, I'm not dating at all, it's a protection, which is fine. But I would say to that person or that listener who's listening right now, if you don't wanna be in a romantic relationship because that protection is there, find really healthy friendships, a therapist, find people to be intimate with. And what I mean is let them see into you and vice versa so that you're building healthy connections with people who are safer. And sometimes that's the path to finding a healthy romantic relationship because you start having these more intimate, safer relationships with friends and therapists and coaches that make your body understand, okay, this is what intimacy feels like. And this feels safer in X, Y, and Z. And eventually your system will want that in a partner, but you know, the stakes are higher in our romantic partner. So starting with other relationships is, is, is sometimes the best path for someone who's like, Nope, not doing it. I'm going to stay on my side of the fence. What I hear is I've been, I've been wounded and I'm so in so much pain. I'm not willing to risk that much pain right now. Okay. But are you willing to be in other types of relationship that could foster healing? Because sometimes that is actually the safer path to earn security. And when that happens, that other relationship will just appear and it won't feel so scary anymore. Yeah, that's a great point. It's like getting a reference point for what it is to be Uh safe in a relationship and feel connected. Uh That's Uh so beautiful. And what, like, what about after, you know, having your own experience with this and working with people around anxious attachment, like what was the thing that made you want to write a book about it? Like, what do you feel like are the misnomers or the things that like in your own heart, you go to bed at night and you're just like, ah, if people only knew this. I just, I love you so much for asking me that question. Like, I love all your questions. Um, So like I wrote this book originally for like the 20 year old in me. And I think I've read every single book. You can see my bookshelf behind me. Um, on codependency, love addiction, even though it wasn't really love addiction that I was struggling with. I had some, you know, quote unquote, codependent behaviors, but nothing was really explaining what was happening on a sensational level in my body. So like my gut falling through the floor or my heart race 
breastfeeding or having a panic attack or having separation anxiety, which is something now I realize I had since I was a little girl, nothing was addressing my actual body. Every book I read is addressing these like concrete linear things. And so one of the things I wanted to help readers understand is that your behaviors aren't crazy at all. And what's going on in your body is primed or a blueprint that was set so early on that unless you start to really understand this from this developmental compassionate lens, you're just going to think you're crazy all the time. And you're going to be shaming yourself for these behaviors that make perfect sense when you really start to understand how we're biologically wired and what happened and what you went through to adapt and stay in connection as a young child. So I guess I really wanted the reader to understand more than just like the left mode logical understanding of this topic, but the, the felt experience of not only what it feels like and why you experience those things, but what tapping into what it feels like to heal, which is also a felt sense experience. So I included meditations with it and I have the reader kind of access what I call an internal nurturing community. But I think I really wanted to heal my 20 year old self and I wanted to give her the book that I think I needed when I was 20 that explained what I was experiencing that I didn't get from other books. I think that's where the drive of this book is. And I think I'm trying to help people truly understand themselves in a way that sheds so much compassion and opens the door for more and more of their own healing. It's not a one-step wonder, but it's like a shift in your own perspective, a shift in your internal world that I wanted to like spark in as many possible people as I could, which is a little grandiose idea of mine, but yeah. So uh, originally for myself. Yeah. I think that's so beautiful. Like I always think back at, you know, some of the stuff that goes on in our, you know, teenage years, older teenage years and young twenties in relationship, all those firsts and all the like, you know, things that form like what your belief system is on love relationships too. And like, what your, what your whole experience you're going to take forward is. And like some of the stuff that, you know, you look back when you get a little bit older and you're like, oh gosh, right. <laughs> if I only knew this at that time, that would have been so helpful. And we, I mean, I didn't grow up when everybody was texting, like, right. At being teenagers and like, you know, young adults yeah. and having, you know, social media and text and all of that. I mean, it's like a whole other layer of like, thank God stuff. we didn't have that. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and I was like AOL dial up. That was like as we could. <laughs> we were just telling, I have a nine-year-old son. We were just telling about AOL dial up and he's like, oh, that's awful. He's like, did it take forever? How did you live like that? And we thought it was so cool. I know. We were like, we we looked it up, like, you know, the sound it used to make, like you can probably remember it, right? Yeah, when it was, yeah, yeah. When it was connecting. Yeah. <laughs> and then we played it for him and he's like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I, it adds another layer to all the ways that we relate. Like we didn't have like, text messages where you maybe misunderstand the person's tone or their meaning yeah. in that message, like, or that someone's accessible all the time. Like if you called your friend and it was busy, like you're like, oh, you know, someone else is on the phone at their house or they're on the phone. And now it's like, you know, you expect people to be there and receiving your message all the time, 24 seven. Well, and I think that's why anxious tendencies are on the rise because yes. I mean, 
I know I don't have Snapchat myself, but like you can even see where someone is. You can see if someone checked a message, you can make up the story about why they watched your story or where they are and why didn't they return your call? I mean, I have a hard enough time if my husband doesn't return my text message within four hours. <laughs> and this is my husband that I know loves me to pieces. Yeah. I couldn't imagine being a teenager in this world where you have so many ways to analyze uh, poorly why this person isn't getting back into contact with you. And we live in such a like transactional world that like ghosting or just dating someone new, it's like, it's like normal. And, and we grew up in a, in a society, we, we grew up at a time where like, you're right. Like you called someone's house. If they didn't pick up, chances are they were outside playing. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And you didn't jump to like 15 million conclusions. And I would say for the adults listening, you know, if you're dating in this world, it's also harder world to be dating in just because there's more options and more online options. Does it mean that you're going to make connection easier? It actually can complicate things. It's both positive and negative. Yeah, definitely. So beautiful. So I feel like this is a really like great book, anxiously attached. And I know um, at the time we're recording this in May, but it's coming out in June um, and can be purchased obviously anywhere you guys get your books. Um, But I think this is important to understand this, like whether you're a parent with, you know, a teenager or a kid in their young twenties, whether you are experiencing this in your life, either in relationship or outside of, you know, a love relationship. I just think like we can love each other more by understanding some of this, whether we're supporting ourselves or supporting other people in our lives. I mean, certainly if it's not us as individuals, we know people, you know, that are going through this, right. And experiencing all kinds of stuff around love and how beautiful to understand that it's, you know, about our central nervous system, about how our bodies feel these sensations, about where this comes from, instead of just either feeling crazy or feeling like something's wrong with us or something's wrong with other people. Like part of loving the people in our life and loving ourselves is being aware of this and being supportive. And this book just, I from the moment I saw it, I'm like, this is the type of book that you should pass along to a friend, right? Or pass along to somebody when they're trying to, you know, find their person and maybe, you know, or just broke up with somebody and feeling like, oh, why do I feel all these ways in relationship? It's so funny. Like um, I have like a group and we talk back and forth and um, in one of my groups and it's so incredible when someone will share a story and then so many other people will say, yeah, that's happened to me too, or that's happened to me too. And we realize that so often we keep things inside of ourselves, either in shame or guilt or whatever our sensation is. And we really think we're the only ones experiencing these things. And then we feel like there's something wrong with us when really we can say, yeah, like we all experience a lot of different stuff and we need support in that. And we need to know that we're not alone and we need to know that it's normal and that, you know, that we can grow and heal from it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as a practicing psychotherapist, people can look at me and be like, oh, she's got it all together. And the truth is I share in a vulnerable way in the beginning of my book, because I think it's important to know, like we are all going through something and just because a people appear to have it together on the outside, doesn't mean they're not going through layers of their own stuff too. And so you're not alone. And I think we live in a world where we live in a culture where, listen, I I don't think it's appropriate to go out there and share all the time, all your stuff. And a lot of the work that I do and we do as therapists is for complete privacy. But I think knowing that other people are in this process with you 
helps you feel like less alone as you do your own healing work. So it's really important to know that you're not alone in this pain. In fact, many people are going through this pain and choosing the right people to pull into your world so that you can move through this is actually the gold here is that you're not doing it alone. And even as my book, I am like with you. I like say we the whole time, we anxious people, I'm here. Imagine me here, like your healing doesn't happen alone. You don't heal by yourself. You heal in healing relationships. So if you feel alone, it's a regress state. And it means that you need to pull in the right people. And again, I think people pull in unavailable people, but you really need to look to find available people and allow your system, you know, and there's a lot of defenses. Oh, why would I sit with a therapist? Or why would I sit with a coach? Or why would I do this? Or I'm going to get up and I need to go jog a mile and I should be doing this and I should work harder. And those are all protections. Your, your, your body is literally saying it's not safe enough to slow down, but if you can slow down with available people, your whole world (laughs) for better or worse, will open up. And so it's looking at those ways and realizing that you're not alone, realizing that healing doesn't happen alone. I remember personally, like going through a state of protection where I was like, I got to do this all on my own. And that that is another message that I got from codependency. I inherently, when I was younger and throughout a lot of my own felt shame around the word codependency, and I felt like I had to be super independent. My mom is super independent or she looks like she, I felt like I had to be the super badass independent B-I-T-C-H. And oh my God, was I wrong? Oh my God, is that not there another path to more loneliness? Oh my God, is that a message that our culture puts out there that you should be this independent? No, we need to be interdependent. We need each other. It's normal to need people, like pick healthy people to lean on. This is the path that our inherent wisdom, our body, our biology actually wants. This is the path towards thriving. And so that messaging around, you know, what it takes to heal really needs to shift. And I worked a lot on that in the book too, so that people like me, like the 25 year old in me thought I had to be independent and had a lot of shame for just feeling too dependent. Um, so people can really understand what actually what it takes to heal. And it, 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 it's a lot more about picking the right people and allowing things to surface in the right relationships than it is to become successful and independent. Yeah, it's so true. So well said. So where can people find out more about you and your work? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I provided a link that hopefully you post with, um, the book's landing page, but you can type in Jessica Baum, LMHC, anxiously attached, becoming more secure in life and love. I'm on Amazon. I don't know when you're dropping this, but there are some, you know, uh, freebies if it's pre-order. And I'm sure after pre-order, there'll be some things too that I'm giving away on my um, website. So it's at beselffull.com. That's B-E-S-E-L-F-F-U-L-L.com. That's um, my coaching business where I have a team of therapists and coaches working internationally, helping people with these issues. And so you can find a lot of my information there. And if you type in Jessica Baum, you pretty much will find me and the book because it's all over the place right now, thankfully. So beautiful. Yes, we'll put all the links uh, that you sent us in the show notes so people can have access to that. Thank you so much for writing this book, right? For showing up to this important work and thanks for coming and hanging out with us. 
Thank you so much. And I have to say, you asked like some of the best questions I have ever been asked. So thank you for mm -hmm. those questions. They were like spot on. I know I went off on tangents, but like, yeah, you were really, really great in terms of asking me um, those deep questions. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Hey, lovely. This is Shauna Lee. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Soul Frequency Show. If you got even one piece of valuable information, head over to Apple Podcasts and share a review with your takeaways. And follow us because we got lots more goodness to come. We are spreading the love far and wide. And you know where to find me over at IG at The Soul Frequency. Until the next time, love, here's to positive vibes and powerful awakenings.